church. Hello, hello. Is the microphone on? There we go. Hey, church. It's good to see you. Good to be with you today. Um, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name's Eddie Hoagland. I serve as one of the pastors here. I oversee the worship department as well as our young adult ministry that meets on Tuesday night. Yeah? Young adults in the room. Let's go. All right. The two of you. I'll see you on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> And I, uh, it's just, it really is so good to be with you, and I get the privilege of sharing God's word with you, and I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. I really love hearing from you as I preach, so I, I'm giving you full permission to respond as God's word is preached. You don't even have to mean it, okay? Just say whatever's in your heart. I'm just messing with you, but, but for sure, full permission to respond. Um, we, we've been in this series on Nehemiah, and I, I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I've been enjoying it. Today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn in there in your Bible. You know, we've been, we've been talking a lot about calling that we have a calling in our lives. And, and I understand that for some of you, you feel a gap between this talk of calling and then reality for you. That it's like, what, what exactly is my calling specifically? Well, um, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us some different language that I hope is helpful for you to understand what your calling is. Um, in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says this, we are God's handiwork. He created us in such a way, created in Christ Jesus, here it is, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God looked down the corridor of time and he said, I want you to do these good works. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about our calling is there are things that God wants you to do that are different than the things he wanted me to do. And we need all that in the church. We need us to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us in advance, and Nehemiah is someone who had a calling from God. He had good works that God has said, I want you to fulfill these specific things. And the way that comes to be is that he first hears about what's going on in Jerusalem, that it had been destroyed. And then he grieves that, and he sits down. It, 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 the news catches him so off guard that he has to sit down. But then right as soon as he grieves it, you know what he does, he prays. He goes to God and he starts praying about what's, what's weighing down on his heart. Then after he prays, he goes to the king and says, could I, could I do something about this? Would you let me do something about this? He starts looking for an opportunity and then, uh, and then he gets to work. He gets to work right after that. And, and if you're wondering, where is my calling? I would suggest to you the, the way Nehemiah started his calling is a great way to start. So just look around and ask yourself, what am I burdened by? What are the things on my heart? And then once you send something, start praying about it right then. And go to God about the things that burden your heart and then start looking for opportunities and asking questions. Could I help here? Could I do this? Start asking questions and then get to work. Get to work because ultimately, here's the thing about callings. Your calling will get clearer over time. Your calling will get clearer over time. I, I need you to hear this because I think so many of us, we feel like we need to have like the full plan in front of us before we get to work. And that's not really how callings work. You just step into what's burning in your heart, the, the doors that God is orbiting, just step through those doors, and then your calling gets clarified over time. That's the way it works, and because sometimes there are unexpected additions to our calling. This is how it works in the Christian faith. We, we feel called to do certain things, and then sometimes there's these unexpected additions added to the list, and what we will see here in Nehemiah chapter five is Nehemiah rising up to the part of his calling he probably did not expect. This isn't the part he expected to step into, and here's my hope for today. 
My hope for you and for me is that we go into Nehemiah 5 and that we pull some principles from him and say, how can we use those principles as we face the unexpected parts of our calling? The parts we're not, we weren't quite ready to face. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The unexpected part of your calling, of your calling, of my calling, the unexpected part. But first, let me pray for us. Father, we are, we're here to hear from you. And uh, more than any words I can say, Lord, I'm, I'm asking, I'm pleading you, would you speak here? Would you say what you want to say? Spirit, we come with open hands, open hearts, ready to listen. And so we're leaning in to whatever it is you have for us today. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage the faint-hearted, that anyone who feels like they're running out of strength, that you would use what happened here today to strengthen us so that we can walk out of this room and into our calling, yes, even into the unexpected part of our calling. We pray that in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Well, I grew up as one of four. I have three siblings, and we used to go to this park, and there was this hill that we called Duck Hill. Called it Duck Hill because there was a pond with a bunch of ducks. Duck Hill. So we, we, uh, we would go there, and it was, it was I would say it's, like, um, it's kind of like a ski slope, somewhere between beginner and intermediate like, level of incline, but it's, it's completely paved in concrete. So um, we would use this to, to have fun with our red wagon that we had as kids. Um, now, if you were to buy your kids a red wagon today and you went to Walmart, here's, here's what I found on Walmart's website this week. That's what they're going to se- sell you, the radio flyer. And I looked at that picture and I was like, man, times have changed a little bit. Look at those two kids. They got backrests on their wagon. Like, and look how happy they are. Also notice that the kids can't drive the wagon. It kind of just, it, you have to pull it a certain direction. Now, that was not the wagon we had. We had like the, the, the ghetto version of that, okay? The way, the way our wagon worked is you could sit on the front of it and grab that black handle and it would turn the wheels of the wagon. So it was a vehicle. You could take it places. And, uh, and there was no backrest or rails or none of that stuff. Because you have to remember, I'm a kid of the 90s. And in the 90s, it wasn't safety first. It was like, I think it was safety third or fourth. I can't remember exactly. But it for sure wasn't safety first. We were like all about the experience. And it was in the 90s. And so we had just seen the movie Cool Runnings. Which is a movie about a Jamaican bobsledding team. And so we got our wagon. We're like, it's a bobsled. Like... Let's do this. So we're standing at the top of Duck Hill, me and my siblings, and we had decided that I get to, I get to be the driver on this one. So we're going to start jogging at the top of the hill, then we're going to jump into the wagon, and I got to be in the front because I'm going to be the driver, and remember, I can turn it any direction I need to. Then my two siblings are going to jump in behind me, and then the last sibling has to jump in in the back, and they're going to be in charge of the brakes. Now, these wagons are not made with any brakes, so we solved it very easily. We found two thick sticks, and then... They're supposed to jump in the back, and whenever it's time to break, they're just going to stick those sticks on the back wheels, and there you go, brakes. Like, it's not that hard to solve, guys. It's very, very simple. So then, so then we're at the top of the hill, and we're like, here we go. One, two, three, it's bobsledding time. We start jogging down the hill, and I jump in, and my siblings jump in, and we, we start flying down that hill. Like, not a small amount of speed is happening. We are booking it down this hill, and I'm just like, you know, just like, can barely talk. And then we reach the bottom of the hill, and we're in the flat part. Again, still going very fast, and I, as the driver, I'm saying, brakes, brakes, and I'm calling for the brakes, and nothing happened. (laughs) 
the reason nothing happened was because one of my siblings who was in charge of the brakes, who shall remain nameless for the sake of this story, uh, had decided as soon as they had jumped on the wagon, they had made the decision that the speed was too great, so they decided to just jump off our journey. So he's, he or she sent, um, <laughs> sent the rest of his, their siblings <laughs> down the hill, and we're flying, and there's no one who's going to slow us down. So all that's left, we're flying at the flat part. There's the lake on the left, and then there's grass and trees on the right. So obviously I'm like, well, we're running out of space here. So I turn to the right, we head into the grass, <laughs> smash straight into a tree. There's kids flying everywhere, and it was awesome. It was so fun, okay? That's, uh, that was my idea of fun as a child. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I, see, I share that story. It's just a funny story, but I think it illustrates what might be going on a lot in church today. Because my sibling in charge of the brakes jumps off the wagon because they did not expect what was happening to happen. The surprise of it made them bail. And I don't want it to be that way for you and your calling. God has something he wants to accomplish through you. He has a mission for every single person sitting in this room, and I don't want you to bail simply because you're starting to face things you didn't expect to face. There's some surprises involved with your calling, and instead what I want is I want you to step up into it because, hear me, we need you. We need each other. This is church. This is how it works. I need you. You need me. Of course, we need our leaders. And I am so thankful for Pastor Brady. And he takes that role as our leader. And I'm thankful for him. We need him. But don't miss this. He needs us. We're a family. He needs you to step into your calling. We all need each other to step into what God has called us to do. And I don't want you to get caught off guard and jump off the wagon. I need you to stay on with us. So here in Nehemiah chapter four, the chapter, um, chapter four is where he faces some opposition. Then chapter six, we're gonna see he's faced with more opposition as well as the completion of the wall. But here in chapter five, we're gonna find that Nehemiah has to address some things happening inside the walls. That's what Nehemiah chapter five is about. Let's take a look at what's happening, starting in verse one. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And then here's Nehemiah's response in verse six. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Whoo, that kind of gives me goosebumps there. <laughs> he's like, he's going to deal with it. And Nehemiah is going to deal with it. We're going to get to that in a second. But the, the first thing we see in this passage is that he says, I heard their outcry and these charges and I was very angry. 
You wanna know how to step up into the unexpected part of your calling first principle? You have to listen to the cry of the people around you. You have to listen to the cry of the people around you. What's happening here in Nehemiah's day, there's three groups of people. There's some people saying, we got large families and we're out of food. You got other people saying, we've had to take loans with our properties as collateral and we've lost them. We still don't have enough money to even eat. And then there's another group of people saying, we've been taxed so heavily by the king. Historians tell us that the tax at this time was probably between 40 and 50%. They got to keep only, only about half of what they were making and this heavy tax and they're mortgaging their properties and it's leading them to be destitute financially all the way to the point where they're having to sell their kids into slavery because that was the only option left. And that option is being triggered by the Jewish nobles, by the people they had taken the loans from and the Jewish nobles are making these Jews who are suffering, they're making them foreclose on their properties and they're making them sell their kids into slavery That's called exacting interest, and to exact interest is prohibited in the law of Moses. So they're doing the thing that God said, you're not allowed to do this in my my nation, my people, you're not allowed to do this, and they're doing it anyways. So you, you can sense the people, they're like, man, here we are trying to rebuild this wall, and the purpose of this wall is to protect us from harm from our enemies, and yet here inside of the walls, we're hurting each other. That's what's happening in Nehemiah 5. He starts seeing it and he sees it because he hears their cry. Now, Nehemiah is on mission. He always stays on mission, but he's still able to hear the cry of the people. And so I think that begs the question, has the church lost its ability to hear the cry of the people? Are are we hearing what's happening around us? Now, I am extremely thankful to be a part of a church where I think we can answer that question with a yes because there are so many things that are happening through New Life Church in Colorado Springs that are only happening because we heard the cry of the people. Every church has a different calling and they have to meet, meet different needs and New Life Church is being led to meet specific needs in our city because there was a listening to what's going on around us. And so, but that's not really what I'm getting at today. I'm trying to bring that to, to your calling. I'm trying to say individually, as individuals, are you hearing the cry of the people around you? Because if you want to step up into the unexpected part of your calling, you have to be able to hear it. Look at Nehemiah. He doesn't hear all that's happening and say, guys, this, is, this has nothing to do with the wall. I came here to rebuild the wall. Don't talk to me about these things. No, he's not distracted. He embraces it. He gets close to it because the cry of the people was all around him. And just like I said earlier, if, you're, if your calling is going to be clarified over time, over time, then you can't let the initial part of your calling let you ignore the unexpected part of your calling. You have to make sure you're listening, and it's not your job to do everything. Hear me, it's, it's not anyone's job to do everything, and I get overwhelmed at times when I hear the crowd of people, I'm like, man, I can't do everything. Well, it's not your job to do everything, it's your job to do something but you're not even gonna get to the something if you're unwilling to hear the cry of the people. The way you're gonna find the thing that God is calling you to do that's different from someone else doing it, the only way you're gonna get there is if you hear what people are crying out, both with words and without words. It's there, they're crying out. The question is, are we listening? And part of your calling will involve where you are right now. If you struggle to know what it is that God's calling you, Two, ask yourself this question, where has God placed me right now? I want you to think about the family that God's put you in. 
I want you to think about the school that you're attending. I want, to think about, I want you to think about the job that you have, the workplace you're in. The fact that you're there is part of your calling. It's the question you can ask, what am I supposed to be doing here? And what are the people in these spaces I just mentioned? What are those people saying? And are you hearing it? Are you hearing what they're crying out? I think it's so interesting that when Jesus gives us the Great Commission, that's our job, right? We're here to fulfill the Great Commission. We're supposed to go and we're supposed to make disciples. Now, when Jesus gave that mission, he didn't just give it to a bunch of random people. He gave it to people who had just spent years with him seeing how he taught them, how he discipled them. So that's why we go into the New Testament and the Gospels and you see how did Jesus teach people? How did Jesus lead people? And we wanna learn those principles so that today in 2022, we can go into the spaces I just mentioned and we're gonna make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. And here's the thing, Jesus, when you study the way he did it, you're gonna find that he engaged with people's humanity before he engaged with their eternity. He engages with them as people, and then it also leads to the great message of life that he brought, that the kingdom of God was coming, the kingdom of God was here, and all the good news that he shared, but he started with, with their humanity. See, I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned that we've, we feel like we're teaching people how to be Christian, and we don't even know how to be human. You have to start, and those things are supposed to be the same thing. We're supposed to be fully human and in our humanity, then we submit that to God and we're Christ followers and that's what makes us Christians. When people interact with us from, from others, all those spaces that God's called us into, they should experience the most human experience with you. They should feel the most human when they're around you. And just like Jesus did, you know what he would do? He would ask questions. He would, he would always be present. No matter what was going on, he always had the ability to be with, present with the people in front of him and see the needs that they had, and he would grieve over the suffering that they had. I mean, think of, think of the story of Lazarus, right? Like, he's straight up gonna resurrect the guy, and he shows up, and everyone's sad that Lazarus has died, and Jesus is sad with them. Knowing where it's gonna go didn't change the fact that he always engaged with their humanity first, and then, he engaged with their eternity and brought the great message that we get to bring. But, but it started with engaging with people's humanity. And the first step to engaging someone in their humanity is to listen. You have to listen to the cry of the people around you. Second thing Nehemiah is gonna teach us is this. Even in urgency, don't rush. Even if the situation is urgent, don't rush. In verse six, we, we see his response to what he had just heard from the people. His response is, I'm really angry about this. What's happening is not right, and it, it ought not be so, and, and, and that's what he's experienced personally, and he, so he's bothered by it. And it's a good thing to be bothered by. He's angry because God's people are mistreating God's people. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. But then I want you to notice, he says he's angry, but then did you see that he said, and then I pondered them, I pondered the things that I heard, and then he takes action. See, it was an urgent situation. Think about the urgency. What if that was happening today? What if today we had people in that kind of a situation in our church, we'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so urgent. But Nehemiah doesn't rush. 
He doesn't rush. See, I think some Christians, they look at an urgent situation that's happening in the world and you say, that is wrong. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And this angers God. And you might be right in that, but you're not supposed to rush into anything. You can't just say, because the situation is urgent, then that gives license to me becoming a reactive Christian where I just kind of just get to do whatever I think should be happening instead of pondering it like Nehemiah did. That's, that's exchanging biblical Christianity for pitchfork Christianity. You know, seeing things that are wrong in the world and saying, because it's wrong, let me go tell these people, that's wrong, right, that's wrong. Okay, great, grab your pitchfork, grab your torch, let's go get them. That's not in the Bible. That's not the way we're gonna address things. We're gonna address it biblically. And the number one word that you need to think about when you're addressing things is wisdom. How, the how matters, how we're gonna address the things that are urgent. And Nehemiah is gonna address it. Don't get me wrong, he's angry for a good reason and then he's going to do something about it. He's straight up gonna tell these people, he's gonna tell them what you're doing is wrong, you've done what's wrong in God's eyes and you've made a fool of us in front of all the nations around us, we're, we're the laughing stock of the nations. That's what he's saying. So he's gonna address it directly. But here's the thing, I believe I believe Nehemiah is not driven by his anger. He's driven by wisdom when he gets to the point where he's gonna do something about it. He experiences the anger, but he's not driven by it. And the reason I think that's shown in the passage, there's three things that happen I think that prove that. The first one is he puts space between his anger and his action. It's not anger, action. It's anger, space, ponder, think, slow down, then action. That's a sign of wisdom. That's what wisdom looks like. Another reason why I think he's driven by wisdom and not by anger is because what he's gonna do is he's going to seek to make what was wrong right, but he's not going to seek vengeance upon those who had done it. So he doesn't go to all the people who are struggling and be like, hey, are you struggling financially? Are you Okay, great, you're on my team, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to those Jewish nobles, and we're gonna take all their money. And we're gonna make them suffer and they're gonna lose their properties. That's not what happens in the passage. What Nehemiah does is he goes to those people and he says, what you've done wrong against God, you have you no fear of God? You don't wanna obey what God says and he calls them out on it. And then he says, just give the people back their land and give the people back their interests. He makes what was wrong right instead of seeking vengeance upon those people. That's wisdom. Anger leads to the other thing. And the last reason why I think he's being led by wisdom is because when he brings that charge against these nobles, they all agree to do what he said. Every single one of them. They all say, you're right. We have done what's wrong, so we're gonna make this right. And they agree to that. You can't tell me that someone driven by anger can accomplish that. Agreement with all those people? How did you pull that off? That's wisdom. That's thinking about it. That's submitting the process to God, not just the outcome. We want to be with God every single step of the way. And anger can have its place in your life. Anger, if it's things that make God angry and you're like, God says that's ought not be, great. It's okay to be activated by that and it might even open the door. But listen to me, if anger opens the door, it better be wisdom walking in. It has to be wisdom walking in. If you walk in that door with anger, it's not gonna lead to the things that God wants. In the New Testament, the book of James, we're told that we're supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. 
If you're putting in human anger, don't get upset when you find out that the outcome is miserable. You want to get to the place of life. You want to get to the place where you're like, that was awesome. God is awesome. That was for his glory. It has to be that it's wisdom walking into the room. And let anger have its place, its proper place. But then let wisdom lead the way. And when that happens here with the people of Israel, the result is they they even call the priests and they're like, let's make this official. We're going to correct what was wrong. And then at the end of verse 13, here's what happens. They say, Nehemiah 5.13 at the end, it says, at this, what I just talked about, making it right, the whole assembly said amen. They entered into agreement like saying, let it be so what we have just agreed upon. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. See, when we treat each other the way we're supposed to treat each other, what happens is you and I enter into unity. You and I get to enter into an amen together and we praise God for it because there's no way reconciliation happens between brothers and sisters without God. So he's the one who gets the praise, but we get to enjoy the unity that happens when we treat each other the way we're supposed to treat each other. And that's what we're after as a church. That's what we're after here at New Life Church. We want to love one another. And if we're going to love one another, we need to know that when we fail one another, we're going to be quick to ask for forgiveness and we're going to be quick to forgive. Because when God, God's people treat each other the way they're supposed to be treated, we enter into an amen and God gets the praise. You know what's so interesting about chapter 5 is that it ends with verse 19 where Nehemiah says this, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. That's a significant verse because Nehemiah is not going to use this phrase, this wording, until the end of the book. There's only two times he uses it, and so that's why you can get a sense of the significance of it. The, the, the last time he uses it, the second time, at the end of the book, when it's all said and done, that makes perfect sense. But then here, in, it, towards the earlier part of the book, he gives us kind of a mile marker moment by throwing this verse in again. But what's so interesting is he doesn't throw that phrase in at the completion of the wall. He throws it in after helping the people. He, he understood that him responding to this unexpected part of his calling was so significant, he had to throw this verse in there because he knew, it's almost as if God had told him, Nehemiah, you thought I was calling you to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, and I did. But I was also calling you to rebuild my people. And Nehemiah could have run away from that, but he didn't. And when he engaged, even though it was an urgent circumstance, he doesn't rush. He doesn't rush. He acts in wisdom. He listens to the cry of the people. He doesn't rush. And then the last thing we're going to learn from Nehemiah is that every calling includes sacrifice. Your calling, my calling. Don't get caught off guard. It's going to involve, if you're going to step into what God's called you to, it's going to involve you giving of yourself sacrificially to others. Here's what's happening in verse 14. He says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. 
Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. He's saying, we didn't take what we could have taken. We didn't take advantage of our position to better ourselves. We understood that the the call to lead, the call to live that out was a call to give, a call to sacrificially serve. That's what he's doing. And he's bringing good to the people of Israel through his service. But then in in the rest of the chapter, you're going to find out he's not just hosting meals with the people of Israel. He's hosting meals with people from all nations is what it says. See, when you step up into that call, you will bless the people around you and it will overflow into other spaces. It's not just, as a church, we're not just bringing the good news of Jesus here inside this building. It's supposed to overflow into the other spaces we're in. It's the good for all the nations. My house will be a prayer for all nations. That's the idea behind what we are. We're the city on a hill. We're, we're bringing that light. Don't, don't hide that light. Let it shine before men. All these things we're supposed to be doing because as you sacrificially give of yourself, that's what happens. People are watching us. People are looking at the church maybe more than before. I don't know, but you can feel it. The world is asking, how will the church respond to the dire circumstances? How will the church respond to the urgency And may it be that the answer is we give, we sacrifice. In the kingdom of God, those are the greatest people. It's not the people with the greatest platform or followers or greatest tweets, all that stuff is nonsense in the kingdom of God. Here's the greatest in the kingdom, those who serve. Those who serve others. Jesus said, if you're gonna serve in my kingdom and you wanna be great, you have to be someone who serves another person. That's what it looks like to be great. And part of your calling will involve you giving of yourself sacrificially to serve others. Now, when it costs you something, and when you're sacrificing that and serving others, it's almost as if you could sense Jesus next to you. And you could look to the side and, and, and see what you're giving to others, and Jesus looks over at you, and you could almost hear him say, this is how we do it in my kingdom. This, this is the way that I've led my people, I serve them. He could have come to be served, but instead he came to serve. See, this book of Nehemiah is incredibly significant in prophetic history because the prophet Daniel, in years earlier, he had prophesied that someone was gonna be sent to Jerusalem to rebuild it, and then once that person sent, that the clock was gonna start ticking. And then once that clock hit its alarm, that then would come Messiah the Prince. So that's why it's so significant that someone's going back to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls because that let it in, that sets it all in motion. Now the chunk of time passes and then is going to come Messiah the Prince. And, and so here comes Nehemiah and he does all the things in the book of Nehemiah. And this is, this is the last part of the Old Testament. I know in your Bible, it's not at the last part, but chronologically speaking, these are the final events. This is it. After the book of Nehemiah, there are no more books in the Bible for 400 years. 
This is what's referred to as the 400 years of silence because there's no more big events that are getting recorded in the scriptures. And after those 400 years of silence, that silence is going to be broken by a baby's cry. A baby's gonna cry. And a savior will be born among them. And Jesus, Jesus is gonna grow up coming back to Jerusalem every year for Passover. And he's going to stand in this temple and he's gonna learn from those teachers and speak with those teachers and he's gonna see the walls that have been rebuilt. That same Jesus is going to enter into the city of Jerusalem and he's gonna be celebrated as Messiah. They're gonna be like, yeah, he's here. But what they wanted was someone who would raise a sword in his hand and say, enough is enough, Roman government. We're gonna overthrow you. That's what the people wanted. But what God was up to was so much bigger than that. He was in the process of saving the world and so he was the Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah people expected. They wanted a king on a horse, instead they got a servant on a donkey. And he came and he was king, he was God, but he became the son of suffering. He lays down his life in his calling, in the mission that God the Father had given God the Son, his calling led him to laying it all down to serve others. Do you see? Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. He's the greater version of what Nehemiah is showing to you and me, that if you give of yourself sacrificially, it will bless others. And so he's the one we draw near to today. He's the one we say, Lord, have your way. Yes, out there, but Lord, have your way right here. So I ask you, what's the part that you feel like you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to step into that calling? What's the part that caught you off guard? What's the part that made it hard? What's the part you're trying to say, I'd rather not? But you know the Lord's saying, I'd I'd rather you do. Because I looked, before time even existed, I looked into time and I said, I want you to do this. I don't have to fill in that blank for you because God's doing that right now. The question is, will you receive that? Will you say yes to what the Spirit is saying right now to you? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you that your grace, your disposition toward us to give us all these things that we have not earned or deserved, your grace is enough for today. And Lord, there are many of my brothers and sisters right now that they are wrestling something. Lord, may it be wrestled right now in your presence and not hidden inside of us. We come to you as we are, broken, failing in different ways, but we say, God, even as these broken vessels, would you just show up and show off? Would you let us bring the good of Jesus into the spaces that you've called us to? God, I pray right now for those who who haven't stepped into that. I pray that this week would be a first step for them. I pray that whatever it is they think you're calling them to, they would just step into it, pray about it, step into it, and just see what happens. But Lord, I'm also aware of those of us who maybe we're not even hearing the cry of the people around us. We've found different ways 
to not hear it. And so, Lord, we repent of that right now and we say, God, what is happening around us? Who is hurting who is near us? Lord, for those things that we have to observe here on the earth that are just, they're wrong. They ought not be. We ask for your wisdom and we ask in faith, banking everything in you. And so that's why with confidence, we can say we're gonna have that wisdom. We are going to receive the skillfulness needed to face the circumstance we're facing. We believe that in faith and I pray that over my brothers and sisters. And finally, Lord, for the part that's costing us, we say, Jesus, be near us as we give. Help us sense your nearness as we give. Because we're not giving for our own cause. We're not giving of ourselves to make our name known. We're giving of ourselves to make your name known. Because you're the one who laid it all down. Father, this is our prayer. We were not a people, but now we're a people because of you. We're your people. Help us to step into that calling. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus, we remember you. We say hallelujah to your name. the perfect son of God in all his innocence you're walking in the dirt with you and me he knows what living is he's acquainted with our grief the man of sorrow son of suffering oh blood and tears how can we? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the Son of suffering. Chase us down and burn us in pursuit. Oh God, to the sinner you're still grace, and the broken you embraced. And in the end, the proof is in your wounds. Oh Jesus, yes, in the end, the proof is in your wounds.
go ahead and grab your communion elements. Here we come yet again with an opportunity to respond to the greater Nehemiah that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. On the night our beloved Savior was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. If you can, you can break that little wafer in your hand. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In other words, what he said is I'm offering an exchange your sinfulness for my righteousness, your brokenness for my wholeness, your death for my life. And for the people of God, this is the most precious gift that we can receive. So brothers and sisters, let us receive the bread together. And likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done for you, what I have finished for you, what I have washed you in. Trust and believe I am enough. Brothers and sisters, let's take the cup together. Come on, let's respond in worship with one another. My freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever, your cross, my freedom. Your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood.
church, can you open your hands with me this morning? As you go from this place, may you know that Christ is enough. He is enough. That he listens to you. He knows you. He sees you. He cares for your life. And he has paid the ultimate price for you to be one with him. So as you go from here, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift his bright smiling countenance towards you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Hey, just a couple announcements for you before you leave. Um, we have our gathering conference here in a week and a half, so if you would like to find out more information about coming to that, there is a booth in the lobby. If it's your very first time here, we are so grateful that you came. We would love to connect with you in Connect Central right outside these doors right after the service. I want to go ahead and invite our prayer ministry team to come down if you would like prayer for anything. Um, and we have some section parties today. So that being said, you are dismissed. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you.